0: Hey everyone! Welcome to a new episode of our podcast series called Catching the Last Wave. I'm Julia Fabris and I will be your host today. Our guest for this episode is Ken Kassem, the Acting Interim Regional Program Coordinator for IUCN Oceania. Ken is a half-Egyptian and half-American passionate conservationist. His background is in marine sciences and geography, with an emphasis on natural resources management, economics and policy. His experience includes working for environmental NGOs in the USA, Malaysia, Indonesia and Fiji. He is an avid scuba diver, bird watcher and author of numerous popular articles on marine conservation. Ken has worked for IUCN Oceania for three years as Strategic Partnership Officer and he is now serving as Acting Interim Regional Program Coordinator. We are looking forward to explore with Ken nature-based solutions and traditional knowledge related to climate change and climate security in the Pacific. Thank you, Ken, for being here with us today. It is an honor to have you as part of our podcast and we're looking forward to explore traditional knowledge and nature based solutions related to climate change and especially on climate security. So, please, let me start with the first question. We would like to have a bit of an introduction of yourself and your organization work. So, could you please tell us about the IUCN work on climate change and resilience building in the Pacific? What are the priorities in the region and what is your, your organization working on at the moment?
1: Hi, Julia. Thank you very much for having us on the podcast. It's an honor to be here and we're glad to be able to share the messages from IUCN as a bit of an introduction. We sometimes say that we're the biggest environmental network that most people haven't heard of. We are a global international organization. IUCN stands for the International Union for Conservation of Nature. As a union, we have many members in the world. Uh, In the Oceania region, we've got about 50 to, to 55 members, including state members from around Pacific Island countries and territories, as well as in Australia and New Zealand. Another part of the union are our commissions. We have six, soon to be seven, expert scientific commissions on all sorts of issues, including protected areas, endangered species, education and policy. Uh, And then the third part of the union is the secretariat. And in the Pacific region, the secretariat is represented here at the Oceania Regional Office in Suva. And so together, uh, we try to promote just and sustainable nature. And so part of our programs in the Pacific is nature-based solutions. And nature-based solutions are a relatively new term but uh, not a new concept, and that is that the natural world around us provides lots of service. They provide us provisioning services of food and water. Nature provides us with protection from disasters. It provides us with regulating the climate, atmosphere, and lots of other ones related to culture and spirituality that are all important for human survival. And so as we have developed over the last few centuries, we've tended to degrade nature, natural processes and systems. And what we've realized is that very often nature provides us with these services cost-effectively or essentially for free, and they do it oftentimes much better than we can engineer ourselves. So the concept of nature-based solutions is looking to nature to help us restore balance with our ecosystems and to have a sustainable future. In some cases, we need to combine nature-based solutions with infrastructure and find ways to use the two of them together. We call that a hybrid infrastructure. Nature based solutions are really key for the Pacific. Communities, for governments, for, for many of the industries in the Pacific, they're largely based on nature. Uh, tourism is almost entirely based on nature. Agriculture, and aquaculture, and fisheries all require clean environments and good natural areas. We also know that Pacific cultures are very close to nature very close to the ocean they're seen as having quite often as having a bond with nature and in many cases on small islands on atolls where there's not a lot of infrastructure or infrastructure development people live very close to nature and rely on nature for daily subsistence for income and to be protected from natural events
0: thank you so much for giving us this overview on the work of IUCN, especially on nature, on the role of nature and it was so interesting to hear from an expert like you that nature can provide better and cheaper solutions. So great to hear about your work on restoring balance with ecosystem and thank you for also exploring already the overview of the role of nature in the Pacific. So the cultural bond with the people, especially in Atoll Nation. And let me get to my second question, which is focusing more on climate change. So from your vast experience, how can we better promote those nature based solutions that you talk about to adapt and mitigate to climate change in order to increase the resilience of the people, especially here in the Pacific? What is IUCN doing in this space?
1: Thank you, Julio. I don't think I can claim to have vast experience, but I have some experience. Happy to discuss this a little bit. Particularly for the Pacific, we think that climate resilience and the ability for communities to adapt to climate change depends upon having healthy, intact, and functioning ecosystems. People in the Pacific are so reliant on the nature around them for farming, for fisheries, protect them from storms and high tides, and we know that healthy, functioning ecosystems can do that. So having intact and healthy coral reefs not only provide food, but they provide protection from storms and waves and high tides. When those are combined with mangrove ecosystems along the coast or healthy uh, coastal forest or coastal vegetation, then you have a much stronger coastal area that's able to withstand some of the impacts of climate change that may lead to coastal erosion. Those ecosystems intact help the islands to be more resilient to climate change impact and communities. The Pacific has some of the world's richest biodiversity, especially marine biodiversity. Some of the forests of the Pacific have very rich species and biodiversity, and these are under threat in many cases. And maintaining that biodiversity is important for maintaining the ecosystem integrity and then providing the services that they can provide. If you take out parts of the biodiversity, you lose the capacity of the ecosystem to respond to changes. In other parts of the Pacific, there's less biodiversity, but we see lots of endemic species. The concept of island biogeography means that the the more remote an island becomes or the smaller becomes, the greater the chances of having endemic species. So maintaining biodiversity is really key for maintaining healthy ecosystems and nature-based solutions. And so quite often we need to work with governments, but especially in the Pacific, we have to work with local communities. So much of the Pacific is under traditional tenure, customary tenure and ownership, So supporting all of the various civil society organizations, local groups to maintain their biodiversity is one of the first key steps for nature-based solutions in the region. We also think a lot about and work a lot on ocean conservation in this region. This is a largest ocean continent. We have our large ocean states in the Pacific. And so many of the near shore coastal ecosystems, the the mangroves, the seagrasses, the coral reefs need to be protected so that they can be productive. And they can be productive for aquaculture, for fisheries, but also for helping to maintain that protection against sea level rise and increase wave action from storms. For a lot of communities and islands we're seeing around the Pacific, experiments with mixing, restoring beach vegetation or coastal vegetation with either stones or sandbags to strengthen the coastlines while maintaining vegetation. And we think that this is more cost-effective. It supports biodiversity, brings back green native species done properly. You know, trying to, to protect large areas of the ocean is key nature based solutions. And then quite often, IUCN tries to combine what we do with very practical matters for local communities. So, if we want to work with local communities through civil society organizations or through local governments or through national governments, We know that communities have really immediate needs, whether it's protection from sea level rise or water or energy. They've got these really immediate needs that sometimes are more pressing than protecting nature. So sometimes we'll work with communities to help them address some of those really immediate needs. Those are some of the things that we're doing from IUCN. You know, you've also mentioned the role of additional knowledge here. And I think that that's really key because in the past, communities in the Pacific lived very closely with nature. In some cases, the populations were smaller than they are today. In some cases, they were bigger than they are today. But the communities had a very different approach to how they, they lived and worked with nature and in some cases, that knowledge has been eroded or it's been lost as people migrate, as lifestyles change. But what we find is that understanding some of the traditional stories and traditional practices can really help communities to restore that link and that bond with nature.
0: Thank you, Ken, for these uh, great uh, inputs. And I'm sure for our audience, it's uh, very interesting to learn more about you know the key role of ecosystem especially here in the pacific the decisive role of reef forest and vegetation in general the importance of keep them healthy as well as ecosystem as well as biodiversity especially the marine biodiversity that you talk about has a key role in this region and also the ecosystem and biodiversity thank you for bringing up their decisive role to mitigate climate change and the role that they have for local communities. So it is great to know all of this and thank you for that. And let me go to my third question, which I believe is very uh, interesting, especially for our colleagues at the the UN system as well as development partners. So all of this that you talk about, all all these traditional knowledge and nature-based solutions, how do you think they can be integrated and implemented by development partners working on climate actions? including climate security, which is a new topic that is emerging in the Pacific?
1: Thanks, Julia. Really, really interesting question. There seems to be no shortage of interest in nature-based solutions. As the, the term has been introduced, it's taken off like wildfire. It really resonates very easily with people, and people tend to get the concept really quickly. So, you know, development partners around the region seem to have latched on to the The concept very quickly. We've had lots of requests for briefings on nature-based solutions. IUCN uh, in 2020, after a couple of years of global consultation, released an international standard for nature-based solutions. I think we need to to really get it rolled out. A couple of things need to happen. So nature-based solutions has come largely from the environment NGO sector from IUCN, from other environmental NGO types of organizations, but it it goes far beyond that. So we need to get it out of environment ministries and into ministries of economy and infrastructure and energy and tourism and others. And this is the role of not only the environmental NGOs, but also other development partners, system, Uh, development banks, and and others. And it's it's also part of investment. So as we see development investments being made in the the region, if those investments had a mandatory, where appropriate, had a mandatory nature-based solutions component, or if projects that really incorporated true nature-based solutions would have Increased investment or lower costs for investment. It would ease the the use of and the transition to nature-based solutions. So that's one key way to do it. Incorporating nature-based solutions, the, the Pacific has many development frameworks. There are lots of regional policies, regional frameworks, national policies, national frameworks for green growth, for sustainable development, for resilient development and nature-based solutions is embedded into most of those most of them were written before the term nature-based solutions became so widespread but as we integrate the concept into development frameworks we need to recognize we need to recognize where nature-based solutions fits within the existing framework and as as we think about climate security and adaptation in the region the role of ecosystems and healthy ecosystems to help them sustain livelihoods persistence and to also reduce the threat of migrants nature based solutions are, are a key component of that and as we as we work to integrate that into into development partners agendas that are beyond environment it will be great for for everybody
0: Thank you so much, Ken, for talking about the need and what can be done by development partners on including a nature-based solution on climate action, including the security sector, which is what our project is working on. Yeah, I think it's a great input, you know, to expand this integration, not only for the Environment Ministry and from the NGO sector, but also, as you mentioned, it is important to understand the role that development partner have in expanding and provide more investment and including nature-based solution in projects and initiatives. And this includes the the security aspect that you just mentioned at the end. Thank you so much for that. Let me skip to my last question, please. So the impacts of climate change on the security and the stability of the Pacific are the most significant threats for the region and its people. So how are these climate security risks particularly affecting indigenous communities in the Pacific and what can be done, in your opinion, to preserve their future and survival of their culture?
1: Thanks, Julia. This is another tough question. You are, you've got a lot of tough questions, but these are all tough questions for humanity and for the people of the Pacific. Some of the, the climate security risks affecting communities in the Pacific, so many of them. So maintaining fish stocks. As climates change, we are expecting and already observing fish to change their distribution, change their migration patterns. And the traditional knowledge that people have held on what and where becomes threatened as climate changes and fish change. So Mixing and combining that traditional knowledge with the science we have on fisheries and fish stocks and our ability to monitor them will be really important to figure out how to get that information to communities so that they can continue to access fish as the, the fish change. The changes in rainfall patterns and how that impacts freshwater lenses, freshwater tables, and freshwater sources is a huge climate security risk for communities. And again, a lot of this comes down to traditional knowledge, when the rains are supposed to come, when they're not supposed to come. Uh, Some places will experience more rains, which may lead to flooding. Some places will experience less rain. And the communities are going to need to have systems in place uh, so that they have access to fresh water year round, even if there's a drought. And then, you know, the The risk of climate refugees around the Pacific uh, is, is one of the really key ones. Having islands that have degraded ecosystems will increase the risk of climate refugees. Once the island ecosystem cannot support human populations, they will have to leave or import everything that they need.
0: Thank you, Ken, for talking about these uh, very important and key climate security risks and how they're affecting indigenous communities and what can be done to preserve their survival of their culture and their future and ensure a sustainable future for those communities, which are playing probably, as you mentioned before, the most important role of preserving you know, those nature-based solutions and those traditional knowledge that it's uh, essential for development partners as well for their mission, you know, to sustain the future, integrating climate change. That's key to preserve their culture in order to achieve this goal. Thank you again, Ken. And this was my last question for today. And I'm happy that you found my question tough, but yeah, as you said, it is important to address them for the future of of the Pacific people and humanity. So thank you for your very interesting and comprehensive answer and inputs that you gave us, that you gave to me, and I learned a lot, and I'm sure our audience learned a lot too. I usually like to end uh, our podcast episode asking our guests to provide just a quick uh, final message to our audience. If there is something that you miss, or if you want to just give a message to the people listening, you're welcome to do that, Ken. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Julia. I'm really honored to to be on the podcast, and we're really... um... To you for inviting IUCN to talk about uh, nature-based solutions and traditional knowledge and uh, and climate change. You know the Pacific is often in international development circles. It's often a little bit overlooked because it's it's far away from a lot of places. It's remote. It's at the edge of the map. Populations are relatively small. But you know the Pacific is on the forefront of climate crisis, but also on climate solutions. Things that are being done in the Pacific, other parts of the world are really far behind. So, you know, it's many countries in the region have established national ocean policies and are producing large scale marine spatial plans that will allow them to de-conflict uses of the ocean and restore areas of their oceans. And that is essential for this region. And other parts of the world are, are far behind on on that, and the Pacific is really taking the lead. Pacific takes you know, leads the the world in terms of community-based protected areas. Almost half of the world's community-based protected areas are found in the Pacific, and so there's a lot for the world to learn from the Pacific, and a lot for people and communities and governments and development partners to work on. We're grateful to have the opportunity to work with with wonderful partners around the region. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you so much for this last message. Very important and very interesting as well. The role of the Pacific, which is at the forefront. Not only, as we always mention, you know, the Pacific is at the forefront of climate change, of the impacts and the negative impacts, but it's great to highlight that here as well we can say that uh, as you mentioned we are at the forefront as well of the solution to fight and mitigate climate change thank you so much for that this concludes our episode for today thank you again ken and uh, please uh, stay tuned for more episodes coming soon
1: thank you very much Julia. thanks for uh, having us on and it was a real pleasure